Welcome to This Is The Song, a podcast brought to you by the LaSalle School of Engineering. Each episode, we bring you a fresh conversation from the LaSalle community. Every episode, you'll hear from engineers and scientists, aka our students, profs, alumni, and industry partners, stories about designing solutions to complex problems to push our world forward. Tune in as these stories will engage, inspire, and delight you to create human impact through science and engineering. Today, we're hearing the story of Chris Korfman. Chris comes to Lausanne from a rather unusual background in kinesiology. His passion to understand how it functions and how to peak athletic performance led him to discover electrical engineering as a major and the role it is actively playing in discovering more secrets that human body hides. He also shares with us his research at Lausanne as a summer intern, and he's also discussing some of his entrepreneurial ambitions as he prepares to graduate from the program. Welcome, Chris. Well, I'm quite excited to be here. Uh, if I'm correct, this is actually my first podcast ever. So uh, here's hoping we can make it Joe Rogan style. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, as, as Ricard said, fourth year uh, electrical engineering. And because of my background in kinesiology, um, I do, I'm, I'm always trying to think of engineering in a, a, a medical or biomedical context. So specifically why I got into electrical engineering, especially from kinesiology, was that um, the future of medicine, if you look at it right now, it's trending towards integrating so much more technology and electronics. Um, I know a lot of you have heard before things like nanobots or I'm sure that a lot of you have heard about things like uh, machine learning. Well, those two actually can fit very closely together. Um, and I, I believe that electrical engineering is the interface between what somebody like Woodkarsh as a computer science major, um, how he might be applying something like machine learning towards uh, biomedical data or, or whatever have you. Um, I'll be the interface as an electrical engineer between what he does and what the body does, what the physical world does. I'll be essentially listening to the, as, as you know, almost meta as this sounds, I'll be listening to the vibrations of, of the particles, the, the electrons and such. And uh, I'll be able to translate all that stuff into usable data for somebody like Utkarsh to go in and, and read and say, oh yeah, wow. So Here's, here's a part of DNA that we realize is linked to this disease. Maybe we can work with this. Yeah, well, that's fascinating to hear. Um, so going back a little bit, what inspired you to first get into kin um, or the biology of us and then later to engineering? I am very, very big on exercise. Um, actually, just before this, I, uh, I went for a run, something I do very often, um, and I, I wanted to get to know more the science of like how to optimize exercise. Uh, didn't intend on that rhyming there, but uh, so yeah, I, I, was, I was interested in trying to learn how the body moves, and also I got a taste of things like, obviously, biology. I had a biology class. I had some classes in like how diseases progress in the body, uh, the different systems in the body. 
and it gave me a very good introduction. But I, uh, I wanted to take it a step further because I started to see some of the machines that I was working with and some of the stuff that I was studying. I realized that there was a, there was a deeper path to how it got onto the textbook in front of me. And there was a lot of times too, where when they were talking about the progression of diseases, a lot of them said, we don't know. So if you look at things like obviously cancer or MS, ALS, a lot of those things have tons of unknowns. And I thought, well, I, that doesn't sit right with me. I gotta, I gotta find out. And yeah, I started doing some, some reading and it, and it turns out that uh, this field is actually perfect for that, or I, I believe it's, it's perfect for that. I know that there's gonna be other related fields, other related engineering disciplines, which absolutely will, will factor in nicely as well. But uh, this was my niche. Very cool. Um, and what aspect, since you're in fourth year and you've, you've gone through the various and tears of engineering life, as we say it, uh, <laughs> yeah. what, is the, what is the most interesting aspect of your field now that you've taken enough courses? Oh, oh that is a good question. Can I just say everything? <laughs> Unfortunately I'll, I'll not. Uh, okay, yeah. how about how about you start by describing? Because for a lot of people, electrical engineering is uh, is very micro in the in the sense that they think about power grids or they think about microelectronics when they think about electrical engineering. But as you just said, it's about medical devices and it's a lot of more things. So how about you start by describing what are some of the things that doesn't meet the eye and that is not out there in the common knowledge and what are some disciplines that you've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up a, a really good point that uh, there's kind of a misconception. I, I almost had it myself a little bit. It took me some time to really find out what was going on with electrical engineering when I first got into uh, the program. And I think there's a bit of the miscon misconception of, as you said, like, oh, I go into electrical engineering just so I can set up a power grid, or I go into it so I can build a cell phone. Um, and certainly you can do those. I have some friends that are very intent on wanting to work on, you know, little microchips or some of them that do want to build power grids. But uh, one of the things that you learn along the way is that the electrons that, as we know, are everywhere. They're in every, uh, every atom, which means they're in every cell, which means they're in every chemical, every every wire uh, that you can think of in a, a electronic device, they're everywhere. And so are signals, radio waves, um, light itself is also very related. And you get a very real sense when you start to quantify it with math that it doesn't seem so mysterious and out there and almost non-controllable. You start to get a sense of, yeah, like if I could start to quantify it, maybe I can start to control it as well. Um, and as I said, even though it sounds kind of meta, <laughs> you, you start to learn the vibrations of the universe. And then that's really all it is because, well, a signal is, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say, shouldn't word it like signal, but um, X-rays or microwaves, we're talking radio waves, that kind of stuff. They're all waves and, um, yeah, when you start to realize that that stuff is everywhere, 
and you start to think like, okay, well, how can I harness that? And there's a lot of people that are already in this field that already have that, uh, they're already starting to develop truly amazing things. And I've been exposed to some professors of mine and some of the research that they're doing. <laughs> Quite frankly, I had no idea was, was going on. I, I was expecting to go into the environment and uh, meet people that, yeah, they were working on power grids or, you know, Professor X is working on, not to make it sound like it's a superhero villain, but, you know, whichever professor is working on a new cell phone and uh, whichever other professor is just working on trying to transmit power more efficiently. Um, but I found a surprising amount of professors that were working in biomedical, doing research on biomedical devices and techniques and everything. And that sort of idea always seemed very far-fetched. I mean, I remember watching Discovery Channel when I was 12, 13, and I saw some of these electrical engineers and they were talking about some medical device they were working on. And I thought, wow, that's like, that's impossible. <laughs> I would never be able to do that. But once you get into it, and again, you start learning, it doesn't seem as far-fetched. Um, and really because of the technology that we have available today, it's not out of reach whatsoever. So that was, <laughs> I forgot the original question, but I think I was starting to get around to, uh, is, does that kind of answer the, the question there? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're on the point. Uh, and I, I wanted to interject there. Uh, so you're, and there are very few people who have, um, who have the worldview that you that you do have, uh, and that's the view of uh, of a scientist, right? You you did talk about a lot of meta, uh, but that is what exactly um, exactly a scientist is always looking out for that they are trying to get into that scientific inquiry uh, and always trying to see okay, well, this makes a lot of sense. How can I? How does it relate to my field? And is there anything for me to explore there? Uh, in the in the niche or even outside of it. Um, so um, there's a different mindset or way of thinking here. And there's a very different mindset when you go back to your kin life, right? Uh, it's, it's totally different way of way of functioning. So how do you see uh, those two work uh, now? And do they complement? Are they opposites? What is that contrast for you? So it's my understanding um, you're getting at that kinesiology would apply the science and engineering would develop it, I think, and, yeah. and, and trying to reconcile the two. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I think they're very complementary because there, there are um, people that are, are in the pure sciences. And they do take a lot of these things and apply it. Um, and to, without them, a lot of the work that an engineer would do wouldn't get done. <laughs> Not saying that we, we can't do anything on our own, but there's, there's to put it in a very good way, um, there's a professor uh, that I work with at York who is in the chemistry department. And he teaches 
to my knowledge, purely chemistry courses and chemistry largely, to my knowledge, is, is a purely science where you get these techniques and then you apply them. And um, I know that there's a lot of stuff there that I would not be able to do. <laughs> um, however, I was able to apply some of my skills that I learned in electrical engineering to some of his research. Um, it, was, it actually had to deal with, I, uh, I wrote a program for him to look through his data. And um, that is where there's a lot of that interplay that comes in. I haven't worked with kinesiology majors as of yet, but I know that if I were to, they would come to me with some sort of problem or I would go to them with some sort of problem like, you know, hey, let's, let's try to fix, um, old people have a lot of problems with their knees and hips. Let's try to design something to fix that. Well, they would probably do all the testing. They would do all the actual work with the patient and bring it to me. I would design the stuff and then bring it back to them. I know this is a super, super um, quick and dirty explanation of it, but yeah, there's, we would obviously really have to work together. Um, is that sort of <laughs> answer? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure, for sure. Okay. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you spoke about electrical engineering as being this bridge between the physical and the digital. Mm -hmm. Elaborate that a, a little bit for, for me. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I love this question. So when you have, let's say a... Um, Let's say you have a digital thermometer. Before engineering, I always wondered to myself, how in the heck is this thing feeling the same thing I am in the air and realizing, oh, that's cold. But obviously to a much greater accuracy for me, I can walk into a room and say, yeah, it's hot or cold. And it can say, yeah, it's 18.23 degrees. Um, there's, because uh, you can obviously, write the programming, which can do whatever it wants with that number that it takes in. But how does that read the real world? How does that read the air and say, yeah, it is 18.23 degrees? That's one specific example. You can find that absolutely everywhere. It's the sensor that you'll have, very simply, it's the sensor that you'll have in that thermometer that interacts with the air in such a way that it can turn that into ones and zeros that then the computer program can actually read. Now think of that in the context of something like uh, a really, 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 really high power microscope that can look at cells in extreme detail. Well, it's reading, um, again, this is a very, very quick and dirty explanation high level overview of it, but uh, it's, it's reading the electrons that are in that, um, in that cell. And it's able to pick up the very small differences between like this area has not a lot of atoms, therefore it must be a lot of empty space, but this one is very dense. So maybe that's the cell wall or maybe that's the nucleus with the DNA, whatever have you. And um, yeah, electrical engineers are the ones who can go in and fine tune how we can read exactly those electrons or in the case of the air, exactly that temperature. Yeah, wow, that 
that's that's awesome uh off the record we can write that in in one of our brochure books <laughs> perfect yeah great <laughs> uh, i'll have to edit that out uh but yeah uh, <laughs> since you were anyways on the topic of sharing real life examples why don't you share some real life examples of the field that you're in and uh something that's currently being developed uh maybe talk a little bit about the dna editing tools that we were talking about or anything mm -hmm. that's that you very recently come across you worked on in in terms of your research so um i'll split this up into two parts the first part so i can talk about the uh the research that I've helped with at York. And then the second part uh, to talk about, as you're saying, like a, a, a recent technology, a recent discovery uh, or advancement in this field. So yeah, to the first part, um, there was the professor in chemistry. He actually was working on, is working on DNA, reading DNA um, mutations and in the context of diseases and disease development. So the project, the specific project that uh, I helped with in his lab was they were reading what's called single nucleotide polymorphisms, or in, in normal speak, just the A's turn to the C's and the G's to the C's, or sorry, A to the T's, G's to the C's. And um, again, in the context of like, okay, well, if these nucleotides are, these uh, base pairs, these parts of DNA are edited, or if there's a mistake and they're switched or whatever, what does that do for diseases? So he had, because obviously you got a crazy amount of cells in your body. So even if you take a very small chunk of, you know, let's say a very small chunk of skin, or if, if they're dealing with a biopsy, which is taking a small part of some tissue in or on your body, to examine it. If they're taking a small part, there's still lots and lots of cells in there. And each of those cells have lots and lots of DNA. So the samples that he was looking at obviously were massive. And he had to find a way to make this huge, and I'm talking like hundreds of thousands or millions of lines of, of uh, reads. They actually turn it into a text file. There's a big process to it, but um, I'll just say that for now. And you obviously, you'd have to have a lot of coffee to be able to go through hundreds of thousands of millions of lines of text. And sometimes these lines of text are very, very long. So he had to find a way of making that readable so he can actually pull like, oh, there's exactly 328,400 and 82 switches of this kind at this position. And then there's only 5,000 switches at this position, exact numbers. Um, so that's where I came in. Since in electrical engineering, we can talk to computers, we have to learn programming. So I put my programming skills that I learned from York to use and wrote him a program that went through all that and gave him exactly everything he needed. So now he has these new percentages and, and this number, these numbers and this data, um, which he's now rigorously going through to unlock all these answers that he was, didn't have access to, access to before. And that exactly describes 
an emerging field called bioinformatics, something actually, Utkarsh, you might be familiar with as a computer scientist, mm-hmm. um, where essentially it's taking modern computational power. Clearly, computers nowadays are amazing, <laughs> not just for playing uh, Fortnite, but also for crunching through really big data. Um, a lot of you might think crunching through big data, yeah, Facebook, Google, they do all that. But um, scientists now also want to slice that pie. So they're taking these awesome modern computers. And then they're also taking machine learning, which is really starting to develop very well. Again, something also that you, you're familiar with, Utkarsh. And uh, they're applying that to all these DNA reads. They're applying it to reading DNA and finding out all these things that they absolutely never would have known before. Um, they're applying it to even medical images. I was talking to a um, postgrad student, uh, <clears throat> PhD student, and yeah, they were doing that. They were taking old x-rays and feeding them into machine learning algorithms. And these machine learning algorithms were spotting all these things that they had never seen before. So they had, they're unlocking all this information and it's giving them an amazing peek into uh, essentially medicine biology that we never saw before. So that's the first question, which also, yeah, relates to computer scientists or uh, software engineers, computer engineers. Um, but again, they need, as like us, to be able to initially take that data, make it into something readable. So that's the, the first answer. The second answer, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> uh, anything that you've anything that you've learned new or exciting about your field lately? Yes. Um, so as as we were talking about before we hit record, um, there are also now techniques, um, as we were specifically mentioning, CRISPR, which allow DNA editing. And DNA editing. Uh, You might be more familiar with the exact details of CRISPR, but something like that has gotten so much more advanced recently because of, well, computers and electronics. And I'm sure that it's going to get even better and better. So much so that um, there have, we're, we're now as humans starting to use DNA to store information. So for you know, uh, many hundreds of millions of years, life has been doing that already, but the information that it stored was how to grow an arm or, you know, how to photosynthesize, that kind of stuff. Uh, We're now starting to get a slice of that pie, using that pie analogy, I'm clearly hungry, (laughs) Um, where we're saying, okay, well, we have the technology, let's start storing our own data. And the benefit to that is that it is much, it lasts much longer than hard drives, um, solid state drives, even, even magnetic tape. So you can put some data on that and it might last dozens of years, maybe hundreds of years, or even possibly hundreds of thousands or millions of years. 
Um, and, and to not make this sound so arbitrary, like, oh, we're storing data. Um, over the past 10 years, in incremental steps, of course, as the technology got better and better, we have started, we as humans, <laughs> I, I wish myself, that would be so cool. Um, <clears throat> we've been storing increasing amounts of data. So if I'm correct, it started out, um, there was a scientist who put a 50,000 page book onto a small piece of DNA, which was able to recover and feed. And you might think, okay, well, that's kind of boring. Well, many years later, um, I believe it was Microsoft, I think, um, they were funding a project that they managed to put a high definition music video onto DNA and recover it. There's also been cases of putting uh, GIFs or GIFs, pronounce it however you want, onto DNA and being able to recover it. And I, I saw one of the, the article I sent you, Karsh, um, where they put a, a very, very small GIF. And when they recovered it, it, it was actually kind of cool how, like, yeah, there was a bit of noise, but um, it still like was almost the same kind of image. <clears throat> so when you think of it, who knows what we're going to be able to do in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, we might be able to store more than just a music video. Maybe we'll store a couple of gigabytes of data or maybe even more than that. And uh, the benefit not only is the fact that it has that extreme longevity, but also that it's very, very compact. So um, yeah, really it's, it's exciting to see where something like that is going. And uh, obviously electrical engineers will be needed because that's the physical world. Those are not electronics. You don't just put a battery to DNA and all of a sudden, boom, there's your GIF, 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 whatever. <laughs> um, you need something that gets in there and that reads it. Um, and I know that there's better technologies that are being developed that have to be developed that personally I haven't uh, even discovered myself. And um, I really want to, you know, I, I really want to get into exactly that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, everywhere, I think uh, there's this, and you do raise a very interesting point about this intersectionality of technical fields. Uh, a lot of people do like to look at them as silos, whereas they are not. Uh, they do intersect and across the engineering. I, I mean, our first first year is very common uh, throughout and uh, we study the same courses because we need to develop those same critical thinking skills uh, to be able to apply to our respective fields. And then even again, even then um, the degree doesn't really segregate itself. Uh, apart from others, you're always taking programming courses, you're always doing some sort of one field or another. Um, and that brings me to the point of intersectionality uh, and also the, also the possibility that an undergraduate degree opens up instead of it being specialized as a lot of people do think it does. Um, for example, you can apply deep learning methods that you learn in computer science to gene editing, or you can take it to astrophysics, uh, or you can take it to just about anywhere else. Um, so talking about that, um, first question is, why did you choose engineering and not biology or computer science? Um, I want your take on that. Okay, I like that question. Yeah. Um, 
like I said, the um, there's a lot of there's a lot of the unknown for technology electronics um, that pulled me in. I'm gonna have to be honest. Before I got into this degree, I if I struggled to comprehend the difference between AC and DC. Not yeah. even kidding. <laughs> and when people said voltage and uh, the when uh, again voltage, current, resistance, I struggled. I really, really struggled. And uh, I didn't know any programming. I was so green to everything. I. I and it was that unknown where I was like, how, how can I get into this field, which is increasingly becoming electronic and not understand any of it? Of course, if I did biology, I would understand the, you know, the structure of the cell. I would understand DNA replication better. I would understand. I'm sure there's some things that I would understand better than I do right now. But I would still look at a lot of the technology, the tools that I'd be using, and I would say, I don't even know how it works. I just know how to use it. Um, and, and that didn't sit right with me. So I wanted to discover, I wanted to explore that uh, right there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, second one is around biomedical research at Lasonde. Um, as you as you were talking about the gene editing um, and storing information, um, mm -hmm. have you come across such research at Lasan, or have you come across other kinds of interesting research that you've seen that yeah. some of your professors are working on? Yeah, so it seems like there's a very heavy focus on genetics, and um, we we don't have a biomedical program. Um, as of yet, maybe we will. I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, with all the research that goes on. Um, but there's a lot of professors that are doing research into genetics. I actually have a, pr a professor this semester who he's doing um, research into being able to read DNA more um, efficiently and effectively, or more accurately, I should say, sorry. And um, like I said, there's the chemistry department of all departments. They actually do a lot of that too. It really seems like there's a lot of people that are geared up towards genetics. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we have increased computational power, that we have better machine learning algorithms and um, the libraries that are coming out for machine learning are just getting so much more advanced and easy to use. I think there's no coincidence whatsoever. So they're looking at this and they're very hungry to, to try to explore as much as they can. Uh, I will ask you the last question, which is what is, and, and uh, totally off going off the topic here, but what is that one piece of advice that you have for a first year student who's either starting out in engineering as an absolutely new student um, from transferring from another discipline or as a high school student, what's, what's that one piece of advice or two pieces of advice that you have? So the first is that it might seem super complicated and like it's a million light years away that you'll ever 
understand anything. Um, but trust me, if I can do it, <laughs> you could do it too. Um, once you start to actually push through, and I know it's tough, yes, but once you start to push through, a lot of things will start to make sense. A lot of things will click and you realize, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sitting here doing endless integrals. What's the point? How is this going to translate to me eventually working with DNA or whatever? Um, and this kind of, actually, this is a good segue into my second point that it will eventually start to make sense. And once it does, uh, it'll click and you'll sit back and be like, wow, that is, that is so cool. And it's like you were saying, you start to notice things everywhere. And I, I can tell you that when I was in my first year, even in my second year, I still was learning the basics. And I wasn't there yet, but I started to get in my third year. And at that point, again, things were starting to make sense. Now I understand why we're doing all these integrals. Now I understand why we're learning the programming the way we are and why we're learning circuits and all that stuff. Um, you start to sit back and say, I see this everywhere now. And I think that's probably one of the most important things for somebody getting into engineering is you want to approach it in a way that'll change how you look at the world. You want to be able to look at the world and understand it a little better. I can't say that as a fourth year, I understand it completely. I can't even say that somebody who's doing their master's or the PhD in engineering or who's been in the discipline for 30 years understands it all, but they understand it a little better than they did yesterday and then last year. And that new understanding they have, now they can take and they can say, okay, well, I can do something with this. I can change this. I could uh, manipulate that. And boom, it works. Wow, look at that. So hang tight. You'll start to see why, how it all makes sense. And trust me, it's the coolest thing when it starts to come together. Mm -hmm. Well, with that note, uh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for uh, the amazing conversation today, Chris. I'm sure uh, there were so many insights, so many interesting and exciting things uh, that future students uh, or current students uh, will take away from this. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Yeah, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm absolutely happy to share as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. Chris's story sheds light on the unique multidisciplinary nature of engineering as a discipline. It draws knowledge from different sources and different disciplines and converts them into tools that add to the betterment of human lives. Chris is using these to DNA sequence the human genome or in biomimicry uh, on how we can emulate nature into making something useful for us or being an entrepreneur in the medical devices industry. We hope that you found Chris's story inspiring and challenges you to explore new fields that you haven't yet. Thanks again for tuning in. Join our social networks to stay tuned into our podcast and all LaSalle School of Engineering activities. We are at LaSalle School on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Check out lasans.jerkyou.ca slash podcast for your episode guide to This is LaSalle School.